You know, there are times in, in our Christian lives, and maybe you can identify with this a bit, that where our faith sometimes can feel a bit stale, uh, it's dried up a wee bit, our relationship could, with Christ can feel a wee bit like a formality. We're ticking the boxes and uh, just going through a procedure, through the motions, something we've just got used to doing. And uh, we've gradually set Christ perhaps on the, on the subs bench, not deliberately, but over the years and busyness and so forth. Um, well, as we come around the Lord's table today, we can find that freshness again in our relationship with Christ. There's a particular song that I love, and I've been able to identify with it on several occasions by Keith Green. We're not going to sing it, but I'm going to just read out a couple of our very short uh, lyrics, and I, I can really identify with them in this at times. Um, my eyes are dry, he writes. My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up and oil, with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew with the wine of your blood. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would wash us anew this morning, that you would break any hard shell on our hearts, bring us into close contact with yourself. Take our hands, whatever we have, to walk through this coming week. May we give it to you, whatever we're anxious about, whatever burden we carry on our shoulders. May we lay it down at your feet and may we know the freshness of you father taking us by the hand and leading us may we not fear but rest in you and we pray this in jesus precious name amen so we're going to start with by jesus i love thee that's sometimes it takes a while to warm up into worship um, but let's not take that time to warm up. Let's just get st straight in and be very blunt about it. My Jesus, I love thee.
Any boys and girls? Emily, do you want to come up? Do you want to come up? Don't feel under pressure now, but you, please do come up. Good. Good. That's great. That is brilliant. And I'll give you a wee thing at the end for just coming. Okay. Now, I'm going to read out just one verse. Just one verse. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. This is talking about Jesus' death on the cross and what it's done for us. There's one verse that says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Now, anybody ever been stung by a bee before? Ever been stung by a bee? Ever been stung by a wasp? No. I remember when I was about, about Daisy's age, I was in the playground and I heard this. It was a wasp flying and it flew right into the corner of my eye and stung me in the eye. And it was very, very sore. Now, what's the difference between a bee and a wasp? A bee and a wasp. Well, the bee's a bit fatter to start with, isn't it? And a wee wasp is more slimline, isn't it? But the big difference is that with a bee, a bee will try not to sting you because it only has one sting. And once it stings, it dies, you're right. It dies. Whereas a wasp can go around going, right, who am I going to, who am I going to sting next? It can sting lots, you know. But what I want to tell you about is this wee girl called Lucy. And she used to be allergic to bee stings. And so it was very important that she didn't get stung by a bee. And one day, they were driving down the road, and a bee flew in, and her dad was driving. A bee flew into the, the car, and it was I hate that sound. Do you hate that sound of the little wings flying? And it went around, and, and little Lucy was really panicking. She was really scared. She said, Daddy, 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 stop the bee, stop the bee. It's going to sting me, it's going to sting me. And the father, he knew he needed to get this bee, but it was very difficult. So he was driving at the time. And the next thing, the bee eventually came to the windscreen. And he knew that he needed to get that bee. And he put his whole hand and he grabbed it in his fist like that. And he just waited for the sting because he knew the sting was coming. He knew it was coming. And the sting did come. But that little bee couldn't sting his daughter anymore. And she was safe. Do you know, that's exactly what this verse is talking to us about. That Jesus, he took the sting. It says the sting of death is gone. Jesus took the sting of death when he died on the cross for you and me. He opened up, he opened up heaven for us. That if we trust him and decide to follow him, then the door is open for us. Now, I'm reading a biography. It's, I'm quite slow at reading, especially at night. I read at night and I tend to fall asleep after about three pages. So I'm reading an autobiography of Billy Graham. Now, you won't know who Billy Graham is, but he used to be a great preacher many years ago. And many people came to faith in Christ through Billy Graham speaking to them. Now, he talks about he was going down the road one day against somebody else in the car, and he was speeding. And he was, next thing he heard, the sirens going and the police stopped him. And he was caught for speeding. 
So we went to the, to the courtroom. We had to go to court. And the judge was sitting up at the front with his gowns and his gavel. That's his wee hammer. And, uh, he, and he asked Billy Graham, he says, what do you plead? And Billy Graham said, I'm guilty. Sir, I was speeding. I was in a hurry. I had to get somewhere. And I was wrong. I was speeding. I am guilty. And so the judge turned around and he said, okay, Billy Graham, you must pay the fine. You are guilty and you must pay the fine of $70. And he put his gavel down, boom, and that was it. So Billy Graham is going to have to pay. Do you know what the judge did then? He took his robes off. He walked down to Billy Graham. He knew who he was. And he took his wallet out of his back pocket, the judge did, and he took $70 out. He says, there you go. And he paid the fine for him. And he took him out to dinner. He took Billy Graham out to dinner. And that's, you know what we're celebrating this morning here? Jesus took the sting for us, but also he paid, he paid the fine, the penalty of our sin. And so that we could go to, for dinner with him. And this is like having a meal. We're thanking Jesus today for what he's done for us. And this is a small, this is a, small, this is a picture of a feast that we're going to have one day. Everyone who trusts in Christ is going to sit at a big table one day and, and feast with Jesus. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. So the sting, boom, was paid by Jesus. The fine, whoa, was paid by Jesus so that we eventually could have a relationship with him and one day be with him and have a brilliant meal with him. Now, I know, because Rita's been giving me some of the, she put on a wee memory stick, all the songs you sing in Sunday Club. So I was looking through them and thinking, is there anything appropriate? And there's one that you have been learning. It's called The Power in the Blood. There's power in the blood. And that sounds a bit spooky, doesn't it? But all it means is that Jesus' blood was shed for you and I so that he could take the sting, that he could pay the fine for our sin, that we might have a relationship with him and be with him one day forever. So we're going to stand, we're going to have we look at it here, and we're going to try and... Uh, older people probably know the older version, but this is a wee bit hyped up. So let's stand and put our hearts into it, and let's celebrate what Jesus has done for us.
excellent. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna, I have some wee things that I've gathered up here over the last couple of years, and I'm gonna let you choose one of them, okay? Do you wanna come up and choose something here? Choose a wee thing. There's a couple of wee things here. Oh, there you go. That's a, that's a rubber, yeah. I think that's everything there. Okay, that's a wee sharpener. That sharpens your pencils, I. And that there, you can put that, I think, in the bath. That lights up. That lights up. See, like that? See, Daisy's got it. See? That's a wee shark that lights up. Oh. My cousin has one of these. Does she? Does she? Really? That's brilliant. Oh, they're, they're good. He has one of those. That's okay. So I'm going to have to carry on the service we've been here to. <laughs> but if you want to go out to Sunday Club Bible class, and uh, that, that is great. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for coming. Okay, and your, your offering will be received. We're, we're going to listen to a song called As We Seek Your Face, and it moves into Jesus Draw Me Close. To draw close because we live in a very busy world, busy schedule, and many carry burdens, many are tired, discouraged, and Lord, we want to just spend time just resting in you and bringing everything that we have every burden to you, to your feet, because we know that you are interested. 
we know that you care for us and that you care for every detail of our lives. And sometimes we don't understand why particular things happen in our lives. If we were to plan it differently, you know, we'd, 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 it would be very different from what you have given. But Lord, help us just to draw close to you in trust. And to know a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that we can experience even though we may not understand it. And Lord, I want to just surrender each person in this congregation and those that are watching at home, Father, those that are perhaps too ill to come to church, unable to come to church, unsteady in their feet. And I pray, God, that wherever they're watching now, that they would know that you are no further than their right arm, that you were right with them. Lord, we give our offering to you today. And Lord, we give it with joy, we give it with delight, because you have done so much for us. You've taken the sting out of death. You've taken the fine and paid it yourself that we might gather around your table this morning and one day gather around the table of the Lamb of God at the marriage supper when the bride will sit down with his church. And what a wonderful day that will be. Lord, use these offerings. Use our lives as offerings as sacrifices to bring more and more people to a knowledge of you and to that peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. As you know, we're... Um, we're going to be electing um, some elders in the near future and I'm obliged by uh, Presbyterian Church to read out um, a few things um, from the code and uh, there's a lot in it so if you can just bear with me um, but I've asked Rainy, Rainy's kindly agreed to put it on an A4, A5 sheet for everyone to mull over next weekend but this I have to read out uh, two Sundays in a row. So, uh, qualified voters, it's to do with qualification for voters, 175 in the code. Um, voting members in the church are communicants on the role of the congregation who are listed whether by name or number as having contributed to the stipend or weekly free will offering of the congregation in the vast financial year. Number two, in addition to those who so listed, the following shall be qualified if themselves communicants on the role. A, a wife shall be qualified on a husband's contribution and vice versa, where both are communicants. This shall also apply should the contributor himself or herself not, to be, a, not be a communicant. If neither husband nor wife is in such circumstances as a communicant, then their contribution shall qualify the eldest child residing in the family who is on the communicant's role. B, should a contributor who is not a communicant be a member of a family residing together, then his contribution shall qualify the eldest child residing in the family who is on the communicant's role. And C, those who have been added to the communicant's role of the congregation 
since the close of the last financial year upon confirmation by the treasurer that they have contributed during the current year shall also be qualified voters. And then 176, uh, paragraph 176 uh, C, should any member of the congregation who claims to be a voting member desire to make an objection regarding any name on the list or omitting from the list, he or she shall lodge his or her objections with his or her reasons in writing with the moderator of Kirk Session within a week of the first publication of the lists by any of the prescribed methods and the Kirk Session will give its decision thereon or refer to the matter for decision at presbytery. So if you have any objections, if you feel that there's someone on the list that shouldn't be on the list or someone who's not on the list that should be on the list, if within the next seven days you could let myself know or Billy Hyman and so that we can, can look at it with the Kirk session uh, and then find a, get a, a final list that is agreed and confirmed by the Kirk session. D, should any member objecting be dissatisfied with the decision of the Kirk session with respect to his or her own or another's qualifications, he, he or she shall have the right to, of appeal to presbytery within seven days. The same right belongs to any member of the Kirk session, including any assessors that may have been appointed by presbytery. And E, when the voters list has been finalized by the Kirk session without appeal or reference or by the presbytery after appeal or reference, it shall be dated, signed and certified as correct by the presiding moderator, who shall forthwith have it lodged with the clerk of presbytery with a certified copy being retained by the moderator or interim moderator of Kirk session as the case may be. This procedure must be completed before proceeding to the election. And then under the title of the Kirk Session Membership and Meetings, third, uh, paragraph 30, number one, the duty of ruling elders as, a, as members of Kirk Session is to work together with the minister in the oversight and government of congregation for the upbuilding of God's people and spiritual fruitfulness and holy concord and for the extension of Christ's kingdom among all people. Number two, ruling elders by their calling shall equally with ministers and responsibility for practical witness, both within the congregation and in the wider world. Number three, in the discharge of his or her duties, each elder should be assigned a district or special responsibilities within the congregation in which he or she may more particularly represent the Kirk session by visitation, private counsel and report that the Kirk session may assign such other duties as it sees fit. And 31, number one, to be chosen for the office of the eldership in a congregation. A person must be a voting member of that congregation and a regular attendant on its ordinances. He or she should be circumspect and exemplary in his or her conduct, both in the church and in the world of, of acknowledged piety, endeavoring to maintain the worship of God in his or her family and held in esteem by the people. Women shall be eligible for election on the same conditions as men. Number two, a ruling elder shall not hold office in more than one congregation at the same time, except as a member of an interim session. And number three, subparagraph two shall not apply to retired ministers who may be members in the congregation. Uh, let's pray. Father, when you call us to serve, will often feel inadequate, but you are adequate. And when you call us, you equip us for every task. We feel weak, but we can run into your arms and feel your strength. 
And we feel as Moses felt, who am I? What can I do? But you look not so much for ability, but availability. That heart surrender of here I am, Lord. Like the boy who offered your son five loaves and two fish. Not much, it's all he had. But your hands made it enough. In your hands it was more than enough. And we pray for your hand to rest upon those men and women who you would choose to serve as elders now and in the years to come. We pray that you'd make it very clear to us during this election, guide who, what people vote, who people vote for, and may it be apparent in those that are chosen um, who your Holy Spirit has anointed for your service. Make that clear to us. And we pray that each person may search their hearts and ask, Lord, is it I? And may their hearts be open to be an elder in your service and in the service of this church. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just let's stand and settle our hearts before we come to the Word of God with When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. church that uh, the minister preaches at least two Sundays on what it means uh, to be an elder. I've chosen a passage from John chapter 13 verses 1 to 21 
It's a well-known passage, but it's a passage we can, it can easily flow over the top of us. Um, but I've just been thinking and meditating on it recently, and it's a really special passage. John 17, or John 13, verses 121. It was just before the Passover feast that Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. There was a man who was shipwrecked and... Uh, I'll just get, get the slides up a wee minute. Come on. There we go. Uh, a man was shipwrecked uh, and he managed to swim to uh, a desert island Totally alone on this island, he spent 10 lonely years. Eventually he was rescued, and one of the, his rescuers, he noticed three huts, which the man had built over the 10 years. And he asked, what's the first hut for? He says, that's my home. And then he said, what's the second hut for? He says, that's my church. And he said, what's the third hut for? And he said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. And it's easy to have disagreements in the church. This man even had disagreed with himself and moved from one church to another. And Alan Redpath, he used to say, put two Christians in a room long, for long enough and there'll be a civil war. 
Um, well, joking aside, there's a vital question which we must ask. What sort of a church do we want? But a question which preempts that is what sort of leadership do we want? Because it's a super fact that as, as goes the leadership, so goes the church. In other words, of course, there are exceptions and generally, what is generally true is that if the leadership are Christ-centered, the congregation will be Christ-centered. If the leadership are Word of God-centered, then, then the congregation will be Word of God-centered. If the leadership is mission-minded, the congregation will be mission-minded and so on. It's very evident that the attitudes and the words and the actions of those in leadership, they can have a good influence or a detrimental influence on the whole congregation. And so you understand, I'm sure you understand why, why we need to take such care uh, as we give prayerful consideration on who we would like to serve as elders. I am by law under the Presbyterian Church obliged to preach, as I've said, the next two Sundays on, on you know, what it, what it means to be an elder and what are the qualifications of an elder. So put your seatbelts on. And I'm starting with 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, Here's a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Today I want to look at what does it mean to be an elder? What is an elder? What's involved? And next week I'd like to look at what are the qualifications for being an elder? So what is an elder? The, the definition of an elder is a biblically qualified man or woman who pastors the local church. You know, God has not left it to our own imagination as to how we do church. The church is God's creation. He set it up. God's Son died for it. Acts 20, verse 28, Luke writes, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He said, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The church is his creation. It's for his glory. It's his body. It's his bride. He owns it. And we are not at liberty just to decide ourselves how we want to do church. God has given us clear instructions in his word. The church is to be led by biblically qualified men and women to pastor the local church. God decides the purpose God decides the function. God decides the structure. And the church is not a body of people run by one man. It's not. It's not a body of people run by one man. I am an elder, what's known as a teaching elder, but I have no more say than any other elder in the Kirk session. And I'm glad about that. I am really glad because the responsibility of a church being on my shoulders would just be too hard for me to bear. Um, so the biblical way is to have a plurality of elders. You know, the word's very clear, the Bible's very clear on having many elders, a plurality. Paul and Barnabas, we're told, appointed elders, plural, 
for them and each church. From, and we're also told, Acts 20, verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders, plural, of the church. So the elders, there should be more than one, there should be several elders um, that are to act in a biblical fashion and make decide decisions under God according to Scripture. You know, there are three descriptions of an elder given to us in the Scriptures, and they can be used interchangeably, but they do have a slight difference in meaning. So we're just going to very briefly look at them. Um, first of all, the obvious one is elder. Uh, the Greek word is, is presbyteros. You know, the term elder comes from the Old Testament, um, where it was referred to the older men in a tribe, men whose advice would be sought because of their age, because of their experience. Uh, so the term elder is a Jewish term, and it stresses maturity and dignity and honor and wisdom. First, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, Paul writes, he must, must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited. The elder must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited. Um, but I must stress this is not about looking at the date of when someone came to faith in Christ. It's not a matter of saying, oh, well, that person came to faith in Christ two years ago, and that person came to faith in Christ 15 years ago, so the one 15 years with Christ is, 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 is our choice. It's not about looking at the date because you can have someone who came to faith just two years ago and there's such a hunger to grow in their faith that they grow and mature much quicker than the one who's been a Christian for 15 years. So it's not about looking at a date. It's about looking at the character of a person. It's about looking at their spiritual maturity. How mature are they in the faith? So that's the first term, elder. And another term that's used in Scripture to describe an elder is an overseer, episkopos. And it comes from the Greek culture. It referred to a superintendent. It referred to a manager. It referred to a guardian. And an overseer responsible for taking care, taking care of the household of God. 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, to be faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. But we'll look at those qualifications next week. The term overseer is very close to being meaning a shepherd. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul says his farewells to the elders of the church of Ephesus. His heart is broken leaving these guys. He's grown to love them. And he implores to them, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So that's elder, uh, overseer. And thirdly, the third description used for an elder is shepherd, poimen. It's also translated as pastor. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, Paul writes uh, that God has given some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And the term emphasizes, it emphasizes the elder as one who tends the flock, as one who feeds the flock, as one who guides the flock, 
one who protects the flock from wolves, and he cares for the flock. In 1 Peter 5, verse 1-2, Peter writes, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He says, Be shepherds of God's flock. That is, that is under your care. Watch over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So these terms, they're, 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 they're used interchangeably in the New Testament. Uh, and Peter draws these three concepts together in that, in that passage I've just read, 1 Peter 5, 1, 2. Elders, overseers, shepherds. Um, so an overall picture of an elder really summarizing is that their role is to be to, to shepherd the flock, to look after them, to feed them, to protect them, to guide them, to work hard amongst them, to care for them spiritually, to care for them physically. Um, and by their lives, elders are to set an example before those that they serve. And of course, we look to Jesus as the perfect elder. We look to Jesus as the chief shepherd. And he sets an example for us to follow. Mark chapter 6, 34. Jesus, he looks out on a large crowd and he has compassion on them. His heart is breaking for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, we're told. He begins to teach them, he begins to guide them, he begins to care for them, he begins to pastor them. In John 10, 11, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, and he points out that the good shepherd, as opposed to the hireling, who's just taken on and hired for the day, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He protects them, even at the very cost of his own life. And in John chapter 10, verse 14, he goes on to point, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. There's that, the importance of that personal connection of, with the sheep and the elder, that personal connection with those that they care for. But coming on to the passage that I read from Scripture, I think this is one of the most beautiful examples of Jesus as an elder, as a chief shepherd, as a pastor. That night, he, I want you to try and imagine, he come, they come in to celebrate the Passover together. They've taken a room on loan. Um, usually on entering somebody's house, it was just the done thing. It was a traditional thing that either the host or they'd have a servant. Either one would get down and wash the guest's feet. But this room was taken it was hired out, you could say, not even hired out, but just offered. But there was no host, there was no servant. And so who was going to wash the feet? And there's a group of 13 men, their feet covered in sand, covered in dirt, covered in sheep excrement, 26 feet altogether, sitting around this table, and no one gets up to wash anyone else's feet at this point. Every single disciple knows the custom. Every single disciple knows, I should be getting up here 
and before we have our meal to get rid of the smell, to get rid of the stench, to get some sort of purification in this room. I need to be doing this. I need to be washing someone's feet. But inside their gut was, no, not me. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I will not do that. And so it's so embarrassing when after they've had their meal, Jesus gets up and he lifts a basin and he lifts some, uh, a towel and he begins to wash each person's, sheep, each person's feet. He begins to wash their feet. And, and, and Peter, he, he gets up and he, he feels guilty straight away because he's been nagging. It's been nagging him the whole time he's been eating around the table. I should be getting up. I should be leading. I should be washing their feet. And he knows he should have done it, and he didn't do it, and now Jesus is doing it. And he jumps up, and he, he's, it's too degrading for Jesus. He says, you'll never wash my feet. No way. That is too degrading for you. And Jesus replies, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That's a very serious thing to say. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. They've been together three years. But Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're out of here. Now this passage, I believe, really dramatically changes the understanding of ministry to people. You know, up to that time, the disciples had been used to high priests, they'd been used to priests in the temple, they'd been used to rabbis, they'd been used to scribes with all of their religious gear on, they'd been used to looking up to them as powerful men of the community. And now, this changes future ministry. Because from a place of pride, to a place of humility. Jesus in Matthew 20 says to his disciples, you know, you know that the rulers in this kingdom of this world, you know that the Gentiles, they lord it over people. They look down on people. Those who have great authority over them, they, they just lord it over them. They make the small, the, the, the lower average person feel mediocre and small. And Jesus says, that will not be among you. That shall not be among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, talking about himself, did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. If I do not wash your feet, Peter, you have no part with me. Peter, if you're looking for some kind of social power, if you're looking for some kind of social status, go to the kingdom of the world outside. If you're looking for others to massage your ego, Peter, if you're looking for other men to respect you and praise you and look up to you, just go now, Peter. Go to the kingdom of the world because... That will not be happening in my kingdom. I did not come to be served. I came to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. 
I think there's, is there a more beautiful example of kingdom of God life than we have here? This example of Jesus to follow God in the flesh, getting down on his hands and knees to wash sheep excrement of the feet of these men. You know, I finish where we started just then, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It's a good thing. It's wonderful to be called of God to do such a task. But it doesn't put us above anybody else. Everybody's task is on equal par where God calls you, where God calls you to serve. Elders aren't more important than you. Elders are here to serve. The bar is high as an elder. It's set high, and none of us are perfect. None of us. We all sin apart from Christ. But a life surrendered to God in his service, in the service of others in this way, it is a great privilege it is a wonderful privilege. And may I humbly ask you to ask God that your hearts be open with regards to being an elder, to ask God, well, Lord, is it me? And if it is, Lord, here I am. I'm available. Use me. Father, we, just, we thank you for people, Lord, in our congregation. We thank you, Lord. We love them. The elders love them. Lord, we want to serve them. We want to tend to their physical needs, their spiritual needs. We want to support them. We want to guide them. We want to protect them. We want to encourage them. And Lord, you know who you want as potential elders here, maybe sitting this morning or maybe watching at home. And there are folk, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is just wanting to move in their hearts to guide them into this leadership uh, position. Show the, the congregation who you want. Show the eldership who you want. And most importantly, show that individuals, Lord, may their hearts be open to receive what you want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whether you are a member or not a member, of the church if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you love him and seek to serve him I welcome you around the Lord's table this morning just continuing on that wee passage that we were looking at in John 13 let me read verses 21 27 which I, I find here an incredible gracious act of Jesus when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit, testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. 
Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, and Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it, and having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. I think it's an amazing passage there because there's Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He washed Judas's feet. He knew that this man was within an hour going to betray him and it would lead to Jesus's interrogation. It would lead to Jesus's torture. It would lead to Jesus's death. And yet Jesus washes Judas's feet. What an act of grace that is. And sometimes we may feel that there's somebody we could never forgive. There's somebody maybe in our lives which we could never forgive. They've, they've, they've hurt us. If that's so, and, and I know those things are hard sometimes, and I've met folk who really have struggled that have been sinned against something fierce and find it hard to forgive. But just let me ask you this. If you find it hard to forgive someone, look into the face of Jesus this morning. Can you say to him, in light of him washing Judas's feet, can you say to him, I can't forgive that person? You know, without God's grace and his forgiveness, I'd be going to hell. I'd be going to a lost eternity. But because of his grace, because of his forgiveness, he's redirected me to heaven. And that's what we celebrate around the table this morning, that Jesus has taken the sting. Jesus has taken the, paid the fine. He's changed the direction of my walking from hell to heaven. Jesus hasn't washed our feet, but he's washed our hearts. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He took that sting of death in our place. He paid the fine. He paid the price. And he brings us to gather today around this table. And one day, we will gather with him around his table in the kingdom of heaven. Let me just read 1 Corinthians, a couple of verses here. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, and he took bread. When he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I received from the Lord that I also passed on to you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you for your blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the greatest story ever told of him going to the cross for each and every one of us, that he might redirect our steps to heaven. And on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread before his disciples and he gave thanks for it. And then he broke it and he said, take it, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Let's eat together. And the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that the very fact that we are able to come around your table this morning and talk about the gospel and talk about the things that you have done, Lord, it shows us forgiveness is available. Forgiveness is available for each of us. And we thank you for that. And we look forward to the day when we will stand in your presence. And Lord, we'll eat around that table and we'll laugh and we'll joke and there'll be no more pain or grief or hurt. And we'll just enjoy being in your presence. But until that day comes, Lord, help us to keep on keeping on. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to keep on running the race, but not running it in our own strength, we're running it in your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to worship God with Be Thy My Vision.
Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.